the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. See, you're not righteous because you do everything right. You're righteous because you put your faith in Christ and He said you're righteous. You're not justified because, oh, you do everything right. You're justified because you put your faith in Christ and He said you're justified. That's why you're justified. The enemy likes to come and whisper to us and say, you're not justified, look at how you act. You're not righteous, look at how you act. You're not set apart to the Lord, look how you act. And descends in perfect love. Now, when we look at ourselves, what do we see? There's nothing of intrinsic value in us. The Bible says we've become a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? See, His glory has come to reside in us. And that's what gives us our value. Holy It is only God's glory and presence in us and His declaration of us that makes us holy. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God was in the process of giving Moses the ceremonial law by which the Israelites would worship the one true God. It was to be done in decency, and in order with all the rituals and sacrifices God laid out as a shadow of the heavenly temple. All of this, in various ways, would point to Jesus' service and sacrifice for us as high priest forever interceding on our behalf. God chose Aaron and his sons to be the priests of the nation and conduct the ceremonies. But before they could ever serve, they had to consecrate themselves. Last time we saw in Exodus 29 that before Aaron would ever serve the people, he would feast and fellowship with God first. This was to be the norm for all priests, including ones coming up in age. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 29, verse 30. Verse 30, And that son that is priest in his stead shall put them on seven days when he comes into the tabernacle of the congregation to minister in the holy place. Before he can ever start to serve, he's got to spend time with the Lord, got to go through this consecration, and then he can go in to serve. Now, verse 31, we get to the final part of their consecration. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil his flesh in the holy place. So this is that second ram, You're going to take the meat and you're going to see that the King James says it just means to boil. You're going to cook it there in the holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they shall eat those things wherewith the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But a stranger shall not eat thereof because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecrations or of the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it's holy. This is not just a regular meal. This is a meal with the Lord and therefore was not to be used for regular consumption. So if anything's left over after they have this time with the Lord of fellowship, it's to be burned with fire. And it mentions you're not to have a stranger. That would usually mean a foreigner, but here specifically it means no member of the congregation. So no one, if you're not a priest, it's almost like you're a foreigner in this case. You're so different. So they're so set apart. It's almost like they come from a different country. 
So he says, you shall not, they shall not eat of it because it's holy. It's just for their consecration. And that's neat because here we see all three animals represented in verse 33. The atonement, that was with the bull, right? The sin offering. That was to atone for their sins. Then we see to consecrate, to set them apart for total surrender. That referred to the uh, burnt offering. And then to sanctify them, to set them apart for service. That was the third ram of consecration. Okay? Well, now we get to verse 35. And thus shall you do unto Aaron and to his sons, according to all the things which I have commanded you. Seven days shall you consecrate them. And you shall offer every day a bullock for a sin offering, for atonement, and you shall cleanse the altar when you have made an atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days shall you make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. So here we find that in those seven days, as the priests are hanging out with the Lord, every day they're going to bring a bull for a sin offering for atonement, but it's not for the priests, it's for the altar. Now that's interesting because you might think they would do that before they would consecrate the priests, but that's what all the blood and everything is for. It's it's for the consecration for the priests. Now it's going to be consecrated for the people to be able to use it. So once the priests are consecrated, now for those seven days, the altar is going to be, notice it says cleansed. Because remember there was a sin offering placed upon it and other things placed upon it. And so now it's going to be cleansed. It's going to be purified from that sin and uncleanness. And an atonement shall be made for the actual altar so that the altar can be accepted by God. It just shows you, you this is where when people bring up this, I don't understand hell. And I'm like, have you ever read this stuff? How cleansed things had to be? I mean, we, we, we don't have any concept of sin. We think we do at times. And when we see sin that's really ugly, we go, yeah, that, I can see how God would judge that. But we don't understand just how evil sin is. But we get a better picture of it when you see just how clean and how many times it had to be cleansed just to be used. The smallest of things is an abomination before the Lord. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says, these, you know, these seven, six things I hate, yea, these seven are an abomination unto the Lord. And if you notice, it lists some things that we don't probably normally consider to be horrible things. One of those things is a lying tongue. Proud look. Gosh, <laughs> you hear that and you kind of think to yourself, how many times have I done that today? A proud look. I, I, that happened every time somebody was driving slow in front of me. Do you know what I mean? We don't fully understand the wages of sin and how sinful it is. It's one of the reasons God gave us the law is that we might see how exceedingly sinful sin is. And when you see how much everything had to be cleansed, how clean it had to be, how much it had to be purified before it was even used, it should kind of jolt us a little bit to see just how evil even the smallest of sins are and how great the sacrifice of Christ was. Notice it's the sacrifice which makes the altar holy and not the altar which makes the sacrifice holy. Jesus, of course, is our ultimate sacrifice, far more holy than any altar you know, that he could offer himself upon. God himself come in the flesh to be our sacrifice for sin, a perfect sinless lamb, one who did not deserve it, but did it for us. Well, now that that's done, Moses gets instructions. Now how do the priests go from there? Well, here's what their regular day looks like. Verse 38. This is that which you shall offer upon the altar. The altar is cleansed. The priests are consecrated and cleansed. They're ready to go. So this is how they're going to work every day. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. So every day, their priest were to offer two offerings. It says two lambs. One lamb, verse 39, shall you offer in the morning, and the other lamb shall you offer at the evening. 
end along with the one lamb, you'll bring a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hin of beaten oil and the fourth part of a hin of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at evening at night and you shall do thereto according to the grain. King James says meat, but that just means a grain offering of the morning and according to the drink offering thereof for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So this would be identical offerings in the morning and in the evening, 6 a.m., 6 p.m., you would have to have all the butcher work done and you would present the offering before the Lord. So the morning offering, it, it tells us what it will be, one lamb. But then also it says a tenth deal of flour or two quarts of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen. A hen was about uh, a gallon. So that would be almost like one quart of beaten olive oil. This is where, again, remember we talked about the symbolism of the olive oil being beaten out of the olives. If you want to go back to that, it shows how you know, Christ who is beaten for us and how the Holy Spirit was sent to us because of his sacrifice. And so they would do that every day. The idea that through the offering is how God sends his power into our lives to live for him. And so they would offer this with the grain offering mingled with the, the oil. And then they would take the fourth part of a hint of wine for a drink offering. So wine being a very valuable thing. And you would take it and they wouldn't drink it. They would take it and they'd pour it on the altar. And the symbolism there was the idea is, again, Lord, our whole day belongs to you. Our whole day is yours. So they would do this in the morning and they would do it in the evening. And it explains what kind of offering the lamb is. Verse 42 this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak there unto you. So every day they would surrender their lives to the Lord as a nation. That's what it would symbolize. Every day at 6 a.m. they would symbolize, okay, Lord, we're bringing, bringing this lamb, we're bringing this drink offering, we're bringing this grain offering, and they wouldn't eat any of it. All of it would go to the Lord. And it would symbolize, Lord, we as a nation are surrendered and yielded to you. And then they would confirm it again at night. So every day the idea was Israel was to live fully and wholeheartedly for the Lord. And why would they need to do that? Because that's what the Lord had for them. And, and he wanted to bless them. And he had so many good things for them. Look at verse 43. And there I will meet with you, with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God says, I want all of this to take place so that my very glory can dwell in your midst. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine what it was like for Israel to see God's glory resting upon that tabernacle every day? I can't. I mean, can you imagine when Solomon dedicated the temple, something very similar happened. The Bible says God's glory filled the temple so much so that the priests had to get out. It says they couldn't even stand to minister inside. They couldn't stay inside. God's glory was too thick. This idea of some manifest glory of God that you could see right in the midst of you. And here's Israel. They're all camping around about this thing. And there's God's glory resting right upon the top of it. Can you imagine what heaven will be like? There it says we won't see his glory just, but we'll see him face to face. You know, all around his throne. 
And that was all what symbolized here is God dwelling in the midst of his people. This is everything that had to take place for that to happen though. All the consecration, all the offerings, all the set-apartness, all the surrender, all of this had to happen for them to fellowship with God. Now, you know Israel's history. Did they do a very good job of that? (laughs) No. And in fact, the Bible says that it's written for our admonition so that we might learn something. And one of the things that we learn from that is we can never be surrendered to the Lord in our flesh properly. We can never be consecrated and sanctified and holy and all the things that God demands of us in our flesh. All of this and all of Israel's failures, it brings us to the place of going, God, if this is the way that we're going to be right with you, we aren't going to make it. Can you provide an alternate way? And guess what God did? He did exactly that. He sent his son to fulfill all of these things for us, that the way would be clear for us. God, though, in all these things here, he shows that he is committed to a relationship with this people that he knows will fail him. He knows will fall short. You know, it's interesting in verse 43, he says, and I will meet there with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. It's God's glory that made the tabernacle special. Not all the beautiful skilled things that were put into it. Not even all the blood that was sacrificed. It was God's glory and his presence that set the tabernacle apart as holy. And that's important because it shows there's no intrinsic value in the tent or the garments or any of the things that took place in there. It was all because of what the Lord attributed to it. Now, when we look at ourselves, what do we see? There's nothing of intrinsic value in us. And the Bible says we've become a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? See, his glory has come to reside in us. And that's what gives us our value. See, I say this because there are people who say, well, no, 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 no. The Bible says, you know, when it means you need to be holy, it means you need to be perfect. Well, guess what? <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> and you can claim it as much as you want. But there are more sins than just sins of commission. There are sins of things that you don't do. I was at picking up dinner for the family last last night and I was tired. It was a lot. We had Ethan's birthday party and it was tiring and, and I was wiped out and uh, the manager comes out and he's limping. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, ah, I was playing basketball and hurt my foot. And I've got two bags of food and I'm ready to walk out the door. And, and this guy serves our family from time to time. So I, I recognize him. He knows who we are. And the Lord's like, why don't you go pray for him? And you know, what do I do? I walk out and I'm like, well, I got to go feed the kids. And the whole little three minute drive home, I thought, Lord, why didn't I just pray with that guy? What's wrong with me? I'm still a work in progress. That's what's wrong with me. I'm not there yet. Praise God, he sees me as there already. He sees me as holy. He's the one that gives me that value because his glory has come to reside inside of me. See, you're not righteous because you do everything right. You're righteous because you put your faith in Christ and he said you're righteous. You're not justified because, oh, you do everything right. You're justified because you put your faith in Christ and he said you're justified. That's why you're justified. The enemy likes to come and whisper to us and say, you're not justified, look at how you act. You're not righteous, look at how you act. You're not set apart to the Lord, look how you act. See, when the Lord deals with us, he deals with me like he did that night. That gentle, still small voice said, Will, I really wanted to do something in that guy's life. The Lord didn't condemn me or beat me up. You know, he just challenged me and encouraged me to do better next time, to obey him and to listen to his voice. Notice all the precious promises that God makes to Israel here. He's going to accept their worship. He's going to accept Aaron's service and his son's service. And he's going to dwell, verse 45, among the children of Israel. The word there means to settle down, to stay. And he says, I will be their God. 
and they'll be my people. And so we see here again a reference back to the promise of Exodus 6. When God said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, I'm going to bring you to the promised land, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. God keeps his promises. Remember, we're looking at how all this stuff points to Jesus. So if the priests in the Old Testament went through a consecration, did Jesus go through a similar type of consecration? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember, they had a sin offering, a burnt offering, and then they consecrated their lives to serve the Lord. So let's see if we can find these three things in reference to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he has made him to be what for us? Sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became that bullock, that sin offering. How about a burnt offering? Look at John chapter 10. Remember the burnt offering symbolized laying your life down completely and fully in surrender to the Lord. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus says, Therefore does my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. You know what's interesting? And when we look at the offerings, there's five total, well, there's more than five, but there's five main offerings. Two were compulsory, the sin offering, the trespass offering. You had to bring that offering. If you sinned against the Lord, which means you did it, but not on purpose, you had to bring an offering to make it right. Trespass offering means you did it, you knew what you were doing, you did it anyway. That you had to come and you had to bring an offering to get right with God. The other three offerings, the burnt offering, peace offering, grain offering, were all voluntary. If you never did it, that was fine. But you did it out of your own heart. And here, what does Jesus say? He was a burnt offering. No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Interesting, he refers to it as a commandment, because it goes all the way back to the command in the Old Testament. Jesus, his life was a burnt offering. What about a consecration of service? Well, there's not enough Bible verses for me to quote tonight. To I mean, there's, there's too many Bible verses for me to quote tonight where Jesus explains, I am not come to do my own will, but the will of the Father, right? I don't speak nothing unless the Father tells me to speak it, right? I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. His whole life was one of consecrated service. He listened, he worked, and he walked uprightly before God all of his days, his ear being consecrated, his thump being consecrated, his big toe being consecrated. All those areas of his life were yielded to the service of God to the very end, to where he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see in Jesus's life here on earth that as our great high priest, he took part in this consecration, which ultimately culminated in his death on the cross. So, one other thought to share. We talked about how it's the gift that makes the altar holy. Jesus is the sacrifice which cleanses the heavenly altar so that we can offer ourselves to God and be accepted as holy. We've been looking at verses all throughout the book of Hebrews which covers this, how Jesus took his blood and he didn't present it in the heavenly temple, but he took it into the temple that's in heaven and he presented it there before the Father where our sins were totally washed away. So Jesus, we see again, our great high priest. The Bible also calls us a kingdom of priests. So is there something for us here as well as believers? You know, it's interesting. It mentions that no stranger could eat of the sacrifice and fellowship with God. And only those who have accepted Jesus, those who are his priests, can fellowship with God as well. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to come through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Secondly, we see that God's glory was what made the tabernacle holy. We've talked already about how you and I have no intrinsic value in us that makes us holy. It is only God's glory and presence in us and his declaration of us that makes us holy. 
But the part I really want to share with you is the daily tasks of the priests, the morning and even offering, every day was a day of surrender and commitment. And is that our part? You know, is that how you handle your day? Every morning you give your life to the Lord and every evening, whether you did well with it or not, you give it back to him again. You know, it's fascinating. Someone said you should read the Proverbs in the morning, read one proverb in the morning and read five Psalms at night. One proverb so you know what to do and then five Psalms so you can be comforted because you didn't do it very well. (laughs) And you're covered because there's 150 Psalms, 30 days in the month. You read all through Psalms every month, 30 Proverbs, one proverb a day, read through the whole thing. I don't know if that's what you have to do. I don't do that, but it's a good thing to do. But the idea here is that we can't live on past experiences of surrender or past experiences in our relationship with the Lord. And nor do we look forward to someday and say, well, I'll surrender a week from now or I'll surrender a month from now. The Lord would say to us tonight and say, Will, are you going to be surrendered to me tonight? Are you going to give your whole life to me in the morning? You know, that's where it all is right now to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I give you my life. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23, verse 23, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, that's what God has called us to do, to be his disciple, to be his follower, his priest in a sense, that as we sit before him, and we surrender our lives to him and we sit at his feet like those priests were to spend time with him first so that when we go out into our workday and we go out and minister to our families and we go out and to maybe come into church or wherever it is we might go as we go out into the world that we've already sat at his feet, we've already committed our lives to him, our hands have been, our thumbs been anointed, our ears been anointed, our big toes been anointed and we're ready to go and represent Jesus to the world. Amen? That's what God's calling us to do as his priests. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want to leave you with these verses. The church there, he was concerned that they would not experience all that God had for them. He was concerned that being new creations and and having received God's righteousness, that they would not live it out in front of people. And so in verses 1 through 3 of 2 Corinthians 6, he has this, this to share, and I think it's appropriate to close with this. He says, we then as workers together with him, this is Paul and his ministry team, we beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he says, I have heard you in a time accepted and in a day of salvation have I secured or helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, he wasn't talking to people who weren't saved already. He was talking about, as we learn in Romans, more their sanctification part of their salvation. Now's the day to be committed to the Lord. Now's the day to be surrendered. Now's the day to be yielded. Now's the day to go for it. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. See, his exhortation to these Corinthians was, today is a day to give everything to God. Go for it and shine his lights for him. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. You know, God has shown great grace to us and that he has not chosen to live in a tabernacle that we can come worship him at, but he's chosen to take up residence in our heart. And now as we can spend time with him each day, he says, I've been so good to you. Don't receive that in vain. Live for me. Be yielded to me. Amen. Lord, we give our lives to you this evening. And, and, and we, Lord, we, we want to be faithful priests unto you. We want to be faithful representatives to the world, Lord, of, of who you are, and then to you on behalf of the people that we interact with, Lord. We want to pray for those people. Lord, I pray for that, that guy right now, that, that manager, that you would heal his foot and that you'd show him how much you love him and be good to him. Lord, I think there's probably people we're even thinking about right now in, in our own hearts and minds, and, and we pray for them right now, Lord. We ask that you'd work in their lives. And then, Lord, use us as we interact with people 
in our jobs, in our families, and we just go about our business in life. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Anoint us with your oil that we might shine for you and be your servants and your ministers to a lost and dying world. Lord, fill us with your love, we pray in Jesus' name, and we give our lives to you. Amen. We are called to be a holy people, consecrated to do good works before the Lord, but these are to be done as an act of love towards God. Any leader's primary responsibility is to spend time with the Lord each day. To be in daily fellowship and close relationship with God is the best place to lead from. God doesn't ask for sacrifices or offerings, but wants us to draw near through the mercy and grace that was shown to us on the cross. We will never be perfect, but we can live holy lives reaching towards the upward call in Jesus. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, do not be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.